What does it tell you when a set of politicians is quiet about a threat? That's the situation we have to unpack right now. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas told lawmakers today that the biggest terror threat to the U.S. comes from inside our borders. At this point in time, domestic violent extremism, the lone wolf, the loose affiliation of individuals following ideologies of hate and other uh, ideologies of extremism uh, that are willing and able to take those ideologies and execute on them in uh, unlawful, illegal, violent ways is our greatest threat uh, in the homeland right now. A related U.S. intel report warns that extremism was likely boosted by Trump and his enablers' bogus election fraud claims that will, quote, will almost certainly, is their language, spur more violence by domestic extremists. So why does the opposition party, who says they hate terror, right? Why are they so quiet? Why is the opposition party once again opposing even on this? How so? A dozen from that party voted against the bipartisan legislation to honor the Capitol Police who kept them safe during the infamy of the insurrection on January 6th, which was a terror attack. Why? At least one of them says he, he's even against the language in the bill calling January 6th an insurrection. Listen. I'm all for the medals, but um, the speaker's legislation contained language that was neither fair nor accurate. Uh, we now know there was no armed insurrection. Nobody had arms. If they beat you to death with a stick, if they spray something in you that makes you die, does it really matter that it wasn't a bullet? I mean, how tortured a defense of that day will these people give? The opposition goes to reality. This is laughable, except it should make you cry because Gohmert says it with a straight face. Now, is it shocking? No. Gohmert had to say similar things just days before on a right-wing network discussing a failed election lawsuit. Listen. But if bottom line is, the court is saying, we're not going to touch this. You have no remedy. Uh, basically, in effect, mm -hmm. the ruling mm -hmm. would be that you got to go to the streets and be as violent as Antifa and BLM. This is where we are. Do you understand? It is all related. What the Asian community is dealing with because of what was said during the pandemic by the president, how they are spinning what January 6th was not at all, which was anything benign, just another protest gone awry with the efforts to suppress the vote. This is all us and them. That's what they're playing at. Let's discuss with the head of the House Intel Committee, Congressman Adam Schiff. Good to see you, Mr. Chairman. Good to see you. How do you attack a problem when half of your number refuses to acknowledge it for political convenience? Well, that's a very good question. And it's, it's impossible, uh, frankly, because when we do, it then becomes a partisan issue when it shouldn't be. Uh, there ought to be a bipartisan consensus to fight ter terrorism wherever it comes from, uh, and particularly when it comes from within. 
But, uh, you know, sadly, the GOP is no longer a party of an ideology. Um, it's a party of Donald Trump. And uh, Trump has made that party about, as you pointed out, vilifying the other. Uh, it is the party of aggrievement and, and increasingly a party of white aggrievement uh, against everyone else. Uh, and so speaking out uh, about this domestic violence threat from white nationalism, uh, you know, some in the Republican Party in Congress feel they're speaking out against their base and the president's base. Uh, you know, I would like to think that's not the majority of their base, but they are building a party around disenfranchising people of color uh, and they're unwilling to confront uh, their demons. Uh, and that leaves us very vulnerable. In this new intelligence assessment, it seems as though Russia, but also the Trump folk, doubled down on their initial efforts in 2016. Russia interfered again, even more so, that the Trump administration didn't address the threat, but instead focused on misleading China information that was in large part fed to them by Russian agents, including Rudy Giuliani, and the White House was warned that this was happening. And Rudy said, I don't care what they say. What does all that mean to you? Well, there's a real consistent through line here. In 2016, uh, the campaign chairman for Donald Trump was Paul Manafort. Manafort was meeting secretly with a Kremlin intelligence agent named Konstantin Kalimnik. And he was giving the Kremlin intelligence internal campaign polling data, uh, as well as other strategic information about their targeting. Uh, this was stuff that was very useful to the Russians because the Russians were engaged in a clandestine social media campaign to help elect Donald Trump. Uh, you know, that's pretty graphic evidence of Manafort uh, and the campaign trying to collude with the Russians. Well, flash forward uh, four years, you have Rudy Giuliani Rudy playing put, the role of Paul Manafort. Rudy put Manafort to shame, Congressman, in terms well, of what he did. Well, and the thing is that four years later it was all in the open. They right. didn't need to hide it anymore the way they did with Paul Manafort. Uh, Giuliani's willing to do it in the open. And I think part of it is the president had been impeached, but he'd been acquitted. Uh, and that, you know, I think he felt uh, liberated to be quite overt about his efforts mm -hmm. to cheat, uh, as we would see with his call to the Georgia Secretary of State, his promulgation of the big lie. But, you know, Giuliani, following the lead of the boss, uh, is working with people with uh, known associations with the Kremlin, and they're only too happy to do it. And warned by U.S. intelligence officials, Rudy, stay away from this guy. He's peddling things. And what the Russians were peddling was exactly what Rudy was selling. All right. But now it's on your watch. And uh, President Biden says Putin is a killer. He will pay a price for those efforts. Uh, you do have part of the price in this uh, S1 HR1 uh, People's Act uh, bill that you're trying to get through. There is some election security hardening there. Putin pulls back the ambassador from the United States in retaliation. Um, what does this mean coming from President Biden? Is this an escalation against Russia? Well, you know, Russia has escalated against the United States over the last several years. And I think that President Biden is doing exactly what he should do, which is pushing back forcefully. Number one, calling out Putin in their conversation, uh, telling Putin that I don't think you have a soul, uh, being very straight and strong with him. Uh, and they're contemplating what sanctions to levy on Russia for their election interference now made public, uh, for their hacking uh, of solar winds, 
for their other malign activities, the poisoning of Navalny, the opposition leader. Uh, and so I think that the president is doing exactly what he should. And at the same time, President Biden is making it clear, look, there are going to be some common interests like uh, New START, like uh, limiting nuclear weapons. And where there are, we won't ignore those. But we're going to push back hard and you need to know it. Uh, the Russians say they want certainty in the U.S. relationship. They're going to get it. Uh, they may not like the certainty, though. Uh, and it, I have to say, Chris, it's refreshing to get a readout of a president's conversation with Putin uh, and not have to cringe, but be proud of what the U.S. president is saying. Good. You can save the cringing for my last question. Um, we dealt with the country's business first. Um, there is reporting that with Becerra leaving the AG post in California to be the secretary of HHS, there's an opening that the uh, governor can appoint and that people are pushing you for that position. Are you considering becoming the attorney general of California, sir? You know, I'm not commenting, but I appreciate the question. Uh, I am very gratified to see that uh, it looks like Javier Becerra will be confirmed tomorrow. I mm -hmm. think he'll do an exceptional job. And I'm confident the governor will pick a worthy successor. You know that's not going to be enough on this show, Congressman. <laughs> I know you're not commenting, but that means that you're not ruling it out. Yes? Uh, I, I'm not going to comment, Chris. But by not commenting, you understand that that was an opportunity to say, I'm not going to do this. So we'll see how it plays uh, out. And I appreciate you. You got a better legal mind than I do. I'm not going to debate you. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Thank you uh, for being with us tonight, Congressman. Good luck going forward. Thanks so much. You take right. care. So will the Democrats stop the country? from a wave of Jim Crow laws. That's not fair. Don't put it on the Democrats. This is about the Republicans. Only the, de the Democrats can stop it. Only. Momentum is building within their ranks. The latest boost came today, and it is a double shot from President Biden and Georgia's first black senator, who would likely not be senator if the proposals that Georgia wants were already in effect. Next. What does it tell you when a set of politicians is quiet about a threat? That's the situation we have to unpack right now. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas told lawmakers today that the biggest terror threat to the U.S. comes from inside our borders. At this point in time, domestic violent extremism, the lone wolf, the loose affiliation of individuals following ideologies of hate and other uh, ideologies of extremism uh, that are willing and able to take those ideologies and execute on them in uh, unlawful, illegal, violent ways is our greatest threat uh, in the homeland right now. A related U.S. intel report warns that extremism was likely boosted by Trump and his enablers' bogus election fraud claims that will, quote, will almost certainly, is their language, spur more violence by domestic extremists. So why does the opposition party, who says they hate terror, right? Why are they so quiet? Why is the opposition party once again opposing even on this? How so? A dozen from that party voted against the bipartisan legislation to honor the Capitol Police who kept them safe during the infamy of the insurrection on January 6th, which was a terror attack. Why? At least one of them 
says he, he's even against the language in the bill calling January 6th an insurrection. Listen. I'm all for the medals, but um, the speaker's legislation contained language that was neither fair nor accurate. Uh, we now know there was no armed insurrection. Nobody had arms. If they beat you to death with a stick, if they spray something in you that makes you die, does it really matter that it wasn't a bullet? I mean, how tortured a defense of that day will these people give? The opposition goes to reality. This is laughable, except it should make you cry because Gohmert says it with a straight face. Now, is it shocking? No. Gohmert had to say similar things just days before on a right-wing network discussing a failed election lawsuit. Listen. But the bottom line is the court is saying, we're not going to touch this. You have no remedy. Uh, Basically, in effect, Mm -hmm. the ruling Mm -hmm. would be that you got to go to the streets and be as violent as Antifa and BLM. This is where we are. Do you understand? It is all related. What the Asian community is dealing with because of what was said during the pandemic by the president, how they are spinning what January 6th was not at all, which was anything benign, just another protest gone awry with the efforts to suppress the vote. This is all us and them. That's what they're playing at. Let's discuss with the head of the House Intel Committee, Congressman Adam Schiff. Good to see you, Mr. Chairman. Good to see you. How do you attack a problem when half of your number refuses to acknowledge it for political convenience? Well, that's a very good question. And it's it's impossible, uh, frankly, because when we do, it then becomes a partisan issue when it shouldn't be. Uh, There ought to be a bipartisan consensus to fight terrorism wherever it comes from, uh, and particularly when it comes from within. But, uh, you know, sadly, the GOP is no longer a party of an ideology. Um, It's a party of Donald Trump. And uh, Trump has made that party about, as you pointed out, vilifying the other. Uh, It is the party of aggrievement and and increasingly a party of white aggrievement uh, against everyone else. Uh, And so speaking out uh, about this domestic violence threat from white nationalism uh, you know, some in the Republican Party in Congress feel they're speaking out against their base and the president's base. Uh, you know, I would like to think that's not the majority of their base, but they are building a party around disenfranchising people of color, uh, and they're unwilling to confront uh, their demons, uh, and that leaves us very vulnerable. In this new intelligence assessment, it seems as though Russia, but also the Trump folk, doubled down on their initial efforts in 2016. Russia interfered again, even more so, that the Trump administration didn't address the threat, but instead focused on misleading China information that was in large part fed to them by Russian agents, including Rudy Giuliani, and the White House was warned that this was happening. And Rudy said, I don't care what they say. What does all that mean to you? Well, there's a real consistent through line here. In 2016, uh, the campaign chairman for Donald Trump was Paul Manafort. 
Manafort was meeting secretly with a Kremlin intelligence agent named Konstantin Kalimnik, and he was giving the Kremlin intelligence internal campaign polling data, uh, as well as other strategic information about their targeting. Uh, this was stuff that was very useful to the Russians because the Russians were engaged in a clandestine social media campaign to help elect Donald Trump. Uh, you know, that's pretty graphic evidence of Manafort uh, and the campaign trying to collude with the Russians. Well, flash forward uh, four years, you have Rudy Giuliani Rudy playing put, the role of Paul Manafort. Rudy put Manafort to shame, Congressman, in terms well, of what he did. Well, and the thing is that four years later, it was all in the open. They right. didn't need to hide it anymore the way they did with Paul Manafort. Uh, Giuliani's willing to do it in the open. And I think part of it is the president had been impeached, but he'd been acquitted. Uh, and that, you know, I think he felt uh, liberated to be quite overt about his efforts mm -hmm. to cheat, uh, as we would see with his call to the Georgia Secretary of State, his promulgation of the big lie. But, you know, Giuliani, following the lead of the boss, uh, is working with people with uh, no associations with the Kremlin, and they're only too happy to do it. And warned by U.S. intelligence officials, Rudy, stay away from this guy. He's peddling things. And what the Russians were peddling was exactly what Rudy was selling. All right. But now it's on your watch. And uh, President Biden says Putin is a killer. He will pay a price for those efforts. Uh, you do have part of the price in this uh, S1 HR1 uh, People's Act uh, bill that you're trying to get through. There is some election security hardening there. Putin pulls back the ambassador from the United States in retaliation. Um, what does this mean coming from President Biden? Is this an escalation against Russia? Well, you know, Russia has escalated against the United States over the last several years. And I think that President Biden is doing exactly what he should do, which is pushing back forcefully. Number one, calling out Putin in their conversation, uh, telling Putin that I don't think you have a soul, uh, being very straight and strong with him. Uh, and they're contemplating what sanctions to levy on Russia for their election interference now made public, uh, for their hacking uh, of solar winds, for their other malign activities, the poisoning of Navalny, the opposition leader. Uh, and so I think that the president is doing exactly what he should. And at the same time, President Biden is making it clear, look, there are going to be some common interests like uh, New START, like uh, limiting nuclear weapons. And where there are, we won't ignore those. But we're going to push back hard and you need to know it. Uh, the Russians say they want certainty in the U.S. relationship. They're going to get it. Uh, they may not like the certainty, though. Uh, and it, I have to say, Chris, it's refreshing to get a readout of a president's conversation with Putin uh, and not have to cringe, but be proud of what the U.S. president is saying. Good. You can save the cringing for my last question. Um, we dealt with the country's business first. Um, there is reporting that with Becerra leaving the AG post in California to be the secretary of HHS, there's an opening that the uh, governor can appoint and that people are pushing you for that position. Are you considering becoming the attorney general of California, sir? You know, I'm not commenting, but I appreciate the question. Uh, I am very gratified to see that uh, it looks like Javier Becerra will be confirmed tomorrow. I mm -hmm. think he'll do an exceptional job. And I'm confident the governor will pick a worthy successor. You know that's not going to be enough on this show, Congressman. <laughs> I know you're not commenting, but that means that you're not ruling it out. Yes? Uh, I, I'm not going to comment, Chris. 
But by not commenting, you understand that that was an opportunity to say, I'm not going to do this. So we'll see how it plays out. And I appreciate you. You got a better legal mind than I do. I'm not going to debate you. I'll leave it at that. (laughs) Thank you uh, for being with us tonight, Congressman. Good luck going forward. Thanks so much. You take care. So will the Democrats stop the country from a wave of Jim Crow laws? That's not fair. Don't put it on the Democrats. This is about the Republicans. Only the the Democrats can stop it. Only. Momentum is building within their ranks. The latest boost came today, and it is a double shot from President Biden and Georgia's first black senator, who would likely not be senator if the proposals that Georgia wants were already in effect. Next. We are witnessing right now a massive and unabashed assault on voting rights unlike anything we've ever seen since the Jim Crow era. This is Jim Crow in new clothes. This is democracy in reverse. That is the most junior member of the U.S. Senate making a most important case. Is our democracy going to get stronger or weaker? That is Senator Raphael Warnock. He is proof of the potential price in the balance the first black man elected to the Senate from the state of Georgia, a fact made possible because of overwhelming support of black voters who may be disenfranchised, who may be incapable of electing somebody like Warnock if Georgia changes the laws the way they are trying to. 43 states have bills to restrict voting. The only single step to stopping the wave is to pass a federal law called the For the People Act, a.k.a. H.R. 1 in the House, House Resolution 1, S. 1 in the Senate. What does it do? It expands. It expands. It creates an automatic right to absentee vote. It expands uh, voting windows. It expands access. It expands. And therefore, it forbids you to constrict. Okay? Now, What is the challenge? The filibuster delay is in the Senate. Why? It requires 60 votes to get to a vote on the bill. That's the Democrats' obstacle. But President Biden has finally seen the light of a potential way past the problem. Look. Aren't you going to have to choose between preserving the filibuster and advancing your agenda? Yes. But here's the choice. I don't think you have to eliminate the filibuster. You have to do it what it used to be when I first got to the Senate and back in the old days when you used to be around there. And that is that a filibuster, you had to stand up and command the floor. And you had to keep talking alone. So you're for that reform. You're for bringing back the talking filibuster. I am. That's what it was supposed to be. It almost is getting to the point where there's, you know, democracy's having a hard time functioning. You know, it's interesting. I actually see the politics on both sides uh, of that. You either have to go for the laws or for the filibuster. No, it's a false premise. There's always been a modification route when it comes to the filibuster. The filibuster has been changed several times. So Biden's answer should have been no, not yes. He doesn't have to choose between the two. And they have to stop talking that way because the binary thinking is polarizing. Needless to say, after the, the president gave that guidance, what did Schumer do the next day as the head of the Democrats in the Senate? He introduced S-1, not known as a big risk taker. He must know that this is now a little bit of a safer path. Is it? 
Democrat Senator Elizabeth Warren tells CNN the plan is to put the bill on the floor. That's Schumer's job. Make Mitch McConnell use the filibuster to block it. Then people will see the opposition is going to do what it does, oppose, and that democracy will be in the Democrats' hands. And hopefully that will force even the reluctant to think about history here and modify the filibuster, which the Democrats can do on their own if all the members in the Senate go along, right? Because it's just a simple majority. And then they would have a simple majority vote to secure voting rights. So what's the but? The but is one Democratic senator, at least Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia. He's been clear on this show that he sees the filibuster as a way to protect the voice of the political party that is in the minority. And therefore, he wants to protect the 60 vote rule. But there's an odd paradox at play with protecting the minority here in the Senate, as Senator Warnock pointed out. It is a contradiction to say we must protect minority rights in the Senate while refusing to protect minority rights in the society. It's true. And in fact, McConnell wants to protect his right to be a minority so he can help efforts to suppress the rights of minorities. The political truth is that the 50 votes may not be the number Democrats need to focus on here. After all, Warnock is not the only Democrat who needs the support of black voters, right? Biden wouldn't be in the Oval Office without the 87% support he got. If they haven't figured that out, you better believe MAGA Nation has. Can a Republican win again if H.R. 1 becomes law? If they allow that to happen, if it's allowed to happen, I think your Republicans will have a very hard time getting elected. Look, Bartiromo knows, of course, a Republican can get elected. Trump is just playing to the division. Yeah, if you only play to white fright and you keep demonizing people of color, yeah, you won't get elected again if they have any say in it. So the answer is to get their say out of the way. Democracy is either about to become more or less inclusive on our watch. These bills in the House and Senate are the only way to protect minority voters. President Biden, if you're listening tonight or if this could be passed on to you, this situation resonates with words that mean so much to you. The poem, The Cure of Troy, this may be the once in your political lifetime, that the longed-for tidal wave of justice can rise up and hope and history can rhyme. So hope for a great sea change on the far side of revenge. Will those words resonate among Democrats? Because if not, democracy will be injured on their watch. Takes us to today. A lucky day on the calendar, right? Luck's not getting us out of the pandemic. We're seeing what's happening all over Europe again. The spikes there will be our reality if we don't do the right things. That's exactly what happened the first time. What are the odds of another surge? Next. The CDC now lists five different strains as, quote, variants of concern, three as variants of interest. The good news is right now it looks like the vaccines can handle all of them. But any lead time we had, gone. 15 states, cases headed back up. And here's the risk. 
doing too much, too stupid, too soon. Packed bars full of maskless people celebrating St. Patty's Day. This has always been the hardest variable to account for, us. Let's bring in Dr. Lena Wen. Doc, it's good to have you. What do you believe is the chance that we have another widespread surge? Unfortunately, Chris, I think that we are on the cusp of that fourth surge that we've been dreading. And we see that. You mentioned 15 or so states that are seeing an increase in the number of infections already. We're also increasing over a high baseline of infections. And we have the variable that we now have these more transmissible variants becoming dominant here in the U.S. very quickly. All of this is against the backdrop of states lifting restrictions, especially mask mandates at exactly the wrong time. So I think we are going to see a surge in the number of infections. I think what helps this time, though, is that the most vulnerable, particularly nursing home residents, people who are older, are now vaccinated. And so we may prevent a spike in hospitalizations and deaths, but I do think we're going to see an increase in infections just as the vaccine rollout is really speeding up. So because of what you just said, and again, because the vaccine, the surge doesn't matter as much. That's what people are saying. Well, this is the concern. I really think that what is happening in Europe with lockdowns and restrictions, that's not going to happen here. There are so many governors that, may, that have made it clear that they're not going to do anything with regard to increasing mandates of any kind unless their hospitals become overwhelmed. But they don't and have the vaccine that, like we do. But in Europe, they don't have the vaccine like we do. So we don't have to worry the way they are. I think we still need to worry because this time, unlike before, what we're going to see in our hospitals are young people, previously healthy people, dying who would otherwise be alive if we only did the right thing. And again, I'm not asking for businesses all to be shut down again. I think all that we in public health are asking for is masking, physical distancing, the things that we know are helpful and will work in keeping us, tidying us over until the vaccines here can kick in. You know, schools, you and I talk about them often. Have we been making a mistake lumping them all together? Should there be more of a push to open elementary schools? Um, Because I already feel like the fall is getting iffy, again, in terms of what I'm hearing. Um, And so high school is something different. There's a higher case rate. But elementary schools, should they be broken out and a big push to get them open full time in person? Yes, for two reasons. One is that we know younger children transmit coronavirus less than older children. Older children, teens and above, tend to transmit at around the same uh, rate as adults do. But younger children, they are less likely to transmit to each other and to adults. The other reason is Mm -hmm. younger children need in-person learning even more. And so one could argue that being in-person is even more essential. And I do agree that we should now be looking at three feet instead of six feet when it comes to physical distancing in schools, because unless we can switch to three feet, we're not going to be able to get schools back full in person. Dr. Lena Wen, thank you for your points of value added as always. Appreciate you. So attacks on Asian Americans have risen during this pandemic. Now the shootings in Georgia have, of course, put the Asian American community even more on edge. Multiple Asian women murdered yesterday. No matter what the motive, it is horrific and it reminds us that people amongst us, our own, are in pain. A powerful voice in the Asian American community, actor and friend of show, Daniel Day Kim, next. In just a matter of hours, Asian American leaders 
and activists are going to speak out at a House Judiciary panel on the rise in anti-Asian violence and discrimination. It is the first time this panel will take the issue up since 1987, and it cannot come any sooner. And to be brutally honest, we have ignored this for a long time. The hurt is real. The fear is real. My next guest has long sounded the alarm and lived the concern. Daniel Day Kim, actor, activist, friend of show. Good to see you, brother. I'm sorry. It's because we're in the middle of this, but if we don't talk about it, it's not going to get any better. You heard about these shootings in Atlanta. They say the motive is unclear, maybe mixed. Maybe this suspect doesn't even know why he was doing what he was doing. How do all those things hit your ears? Well, I think Mr. Dunn in your earlier segment really hit it on the head. Uh, are, are we to take this man at his word for what his motives are? You know, if, if he was, quote unquote, having a bad day, do we really? And that's that's how it's characterized. Do we even does he even know what his motives were? But. One thing you can say is that even if he says explicitly that it was not uh, racially based, all you have to do is peel away a layer to ask, ask the question, why is temptation in the form of an Asian woman? Why, why then would you go to an Asian massage parlor, three of them to target them? If this were a synagogue, say, or a black church, would, would people have the same impression that clearly there's no connection to race? When seven of the eight people who are killed are Asian, and six of them are women. This, is, this sits at the intersection of a lot of different issues about how we feel about Asian Americans, how we feel about Asian American women, the exoticization and the fetishization that we've seen portrayed in the media for so long, so that they are now to the point where they, they can be disposable. And that we're looking at someone, we're making, we're making someone who committed these murders already a victim by saying he's having a bad day and we're downplaying it. This is similar to something that happened to me personally, Chris, and I've never told this story before, but my sister was the victim uh, of a hate crime uh, in 2015. She was running, she was a marathon runner, and she was running in her own neighborhood when a man driving a car came up to her and yelled at her to get on the sidewalk when she was running on the shoulder. She, she, she said she would do that, and the man then backed up and hit her with her car. And when my sister turned around and, and, and was shocked and, and told him that he, she just hit me, he backed up the car and as my sister was walking away, hit her again, knocking her to the ground. And this man had a history of violence toward other Asian women. But when it got time to prosecute him, the DA was, was telling my sister that we'll never get a hate crime you should just hope for whatever you can get. And he ended up getting convicted of reckless driving when he used his car as a weapon to kill my sister. And there was no one in the system who was willing to help her uh, shepherd this case to the, to the appropriate justice. This and was so 2015, this, this, by the way, not 1950. Uh, this is 2015. And the judge said something that hit your heart when you heard the words of that sheriff um, today. What did that's that judge right. say? That's right. 
So just as the sheriff's spokesman said today that this man was having a bad day, the judge in the case uh, with my sister said, I can understand why this guy was frustrated. I get frustrated too. And that's what he said. And that's when the verdict was, uh, was brought down that this would be reckless driving. It also, it harkens back to the judge in the case against Vincent Chin. When, when they were brought to trial, the judge said, these are not the kind of men that you put in jail. Right. And so they never served a day in jail for the murder of Vincent Chin, who was mistaken for a, a Japanese person when he himself was Chinese at a time when the American auto industry was hurting and Asian Americans were scapegoated then as well. So this is a part of our history, Chris. And uh, so I'm a bit skeptical when I hear that there's absolutely no connection between uh, race and these murders. We're on it. Um, you're putting purpose to your pain and you're speaking tomorrow to Congress and you will always have a platform here. Uh, nothing but love for you, brother. And we'll be fighting the fight with you. I appreciate you, Chris. Truly. Thank you. Be well and good luck tomorrow. Speak truth to power. Thank you. We'll be right back. You got to see what happened in Atlanta as an opportunity. I don't know what we're going to find out about what this shooter understands of his own motives. I am certainly not giving him any excuses. Um, but is there any other reason other than the obvious here for why he targeted Asian American women? Even if it was a sex thing, why did it have to be them? Why were they the object of his desire or his affliction? And even if the analysis is strange, I can tell you. So it's not your time yet. Even if the analysis is strained, you know it's caused fear with brothers and sisters within the Asian American community. And we have yeah. to recognize their reality because it's on the rise. The attacks are on the rise. Absolutely. No matter what the finding is in Atlanta. CNN Tonight, the big show. <laughs> it's big star on screen right now. I, look, D. Lemon. I've got so much that I want to say and so much that I want the viewer to see. I'm sorry I was encroaching your time. I'm sitting here raising my hand. And, you know, I never do that. I wait for you to finish. I can tell you why. Because he not only saw these women as fetishes, but he saw them as obstacles to his, because they said he did it because he wanted to, they were temptations. He saw them as obstacles to his Christian purity. Therefore, they were expendable by mass murder. That is the real racist part. He saw them outside of himself as a way of hindering him from being what he thought that he was supposed to be. That's the racist Inherently part. Inherently less than. A way to go to heaven and not face the consequences. He didn't see them as human. And I, and I talked I was to a psychologist. He had to preserve his Christian purity at all costs. It's incredibly sexist, my therapist says, because it's objectifying women, a double marginalized group of women, even that they weren't doubly marginalized. He perceived them as sex workers, even though they weren't, right? Because he thought they were there to fulfill an obligation for him, something that they were doing for him. He perceived them as, de as sex workers, therefore a double marginalized group of women. He perceived them as sex workers and Asian, even though they weren't sex workers. They were working in a spa, but that was his perception of him. That is the racist and sexist part. Just because someone is not saying, oh, well, you know, I don't like Asians or I'm doing this because of calling, you know, a racial epithet or saying the N-word or anything like that. That is, that's overt, obvious racism. Right. I also this, don't these think are the things that we make, need to... 
These are the things that we need to, to, to uh, dig into as both of us do in therapy to figure out what is actually going on. Go also, on, Also, you know, we're, there's so much strain to fit it into the box. Exactly. And to check all the things. When sometimes it's kind of like porn, right? You know it when you when see, you see it. it. Uh, now, look, I don't know what the context of his relationship to those spas and what the spas are about. It doesn't matter to me. Right. Because the fetishizing of Asian women is well known. Right. And is, you know, was that his thing? Whatever it was... It is what it feels like. Now, not legally. If you right. want to charge a hate crime, fine. Find your criteria. But we're talking about society and its mores. And people are attacking our Asian brothers and sisters. And, and we know why they're doing it. It's a malignancy of the other. Let me say this. I lived in Atlanta for seven years. Mm-hmm. And went and visited Atlanta many, many times in years. And it worked there part-time for NBC News when they needed people to fill in for their bureau. So probably about 10 years off and on. There are plenty of places where you can go to get massages or strip clubs or whatever that don't involve Asian women mm-hmm. in the Atlanta area. Plenty of opportunities. So the fact that he picked those places says something about his psyche and what his motivations were, even if he's not saying it out loud to investigators. Now, if you will allow me to move on, because Chris, I interviewed an officer tonight. That I just, I just want to like interrupt and run it now, but I got to give people the news of the day. From the Capitol insurrection, who was so emotional during the interview, he didn't even realize how emotional he was going to get. And he talked about um, his plight as an American, as a patriot, but as a black man who had to protect the Capitol and the people in it, and then being called racial epithets. He said, there are people out there, we love this country, but it was surprising to him to see the hate coming out of the people at that Capitol that day. It is an unbelievable interview. And he still kept other people safe. Still kept them at safe. At his own risk. And all, and all of it is this the same thing. We've been dealing with these topics of race and bigotry um, and unconscious bias a lot lately. And we need to do something about it. I'm going to run. I love you. I'm you know gonna what get I do to about it? it? All the hate. All of it directed at minorities, directed at others. Yeah. You know what it makes me do? Right. It makes me love you more, D-Lemon. I love you, brother. I love you. I'll more relationships like this so that we treat people as humans. We see the humanity in each other uh, and not as some other and demonizing other people. So thank you, Chris. I love you, brother. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.